And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another awesome episode of Film Fracas. Uh, I'm Shannon. It really be like that sometimes, Widener. And with me are the lovely individuals, uh, Robbie, the main man to Shazer. Hey, guys. Brett, the Rock Johnson. Happy to be here. And Carter, the whole effing show, Spilliards. It is I. Today. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. This episode, we're going to be talking about score. And we're yes. all very excited, especially we, me, because this is like, my first time. Like they're like the point score, right? Yes. Like point score. How many touchdowns? Over the last few episodes, I have Home been runs. calculating a very intense algorithm, and we're just going to give an update. This is only going to be like a five-minute episode, not talking about anything too in depth. We're just going to get it. It's very exciting. It's very I, exciting. Very I thought, brief. I thought we watched all of the films as though they were a figure skating performance. Figure and at the skating. end, we I just it was lacrosse. We scored them like with the big numbers. Lacrosse. I thought it was Lacroix. Lacroix. <laughs> Maybe luge. Brett care to Le- weigh in? No. <laughs> Brett doesn't like sports. Le- <laughs> Actually, I, like I don't know. Fine. Do you like sports? I like them just fine. Okay, that's fair. Do you oh. have a favorite team? Uh, not really. No. Not not the not the Mavericks. No. Oh, okay. That's respectable. I don't really like the Mavericks either. No one likes the Mavericks. <laughs> I mean, I like... I Dallas like, Mavericks, I like come on just, the show. I like them just fine. <laughs> Defend yourself. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, yeah, but we're just talking Dirk about... Nowitzki. Okay, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. We're talking about score today, so we're going to be talking about the music of our four finalists, which are Back to the Future, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, and The Lion King. And Woo! it's it's, it's going to be something. And... I, ugh. Guys, I have a confession to make. You don't like Elton John? Oh, what? no, never mind. Okay, as long <laughs> no, as it's not it's that. Money. Like, I'm, I think I went through the entire spectrum of human emotions listening to all four of these scores. Yes. Oh. And I can't pick Very out good. a winner or a loser. So oh. I That's mean, odd because I, mean, I, I have clear ones I am the life. opposite. I listened to all four and was like, one of these, no good. Like one of good. these, very good. But anyway, it's like, I mean, I do have my uh, notes and takes and whatever on each of them, but I'm really going to be listening to you guys for, uh, for hel- hel- helping me make my mind up and everything. But I I liked all of them. So all right. And of course, audience, this isn't all just up to us, um, right? I mean, we're recording this on Monday. I'm going to be posting the link to our Spotify playlist so you can listen along and, uh, you know, if we mention a certain song and you can't quite remember what it sounds like, like if we say, like a dog chasing cars from The Dark Knight, you might be able to play that with your uh, follow-along Spotify playlist. <laughs> so uh, check that out if you haven't uh, at twitter.com or at Film Fracas. So that should be posted there. Um, there you go. Um, since I said The Dark Knight and since it's the first in our playlist... Let's talk about The Dark Knight first. Okay. Awesome. Let's talk about The Dark Knight. So. Who would like to start? Robbie, how about you start us off? Okay. Um, I actually, I really like the song, Like a Dog Chasing Cars. Oh. It's very specific. um, It is good. Yeah. Um, So here's how I feel about The Dark Knight, and maybe it's because the speakers in my car kind of suck and you can't hear a lot of low-end stuff, especially when you're driving a long distance along a highway. And a lot of it gets drowned out by that, you know, mm-hmm. side, you know, that just sound of a yeah, car, yeah. you know. So 
a lot of that low end stuff wasn't quite present for me, and I'm not going to knock it for that because I feel like that really was just. It's certain. definitely there. Yeah, it's there. You, can <laughs> you just couldn't hear it. The, it's technically there. It, so, it, it's never not there. So songs Correct. like "Why So Serious" were like, it's really loud for a minute, and then it's really soft. No, there's definitely stuff. There. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I knew it wasn't silent, and you can hear it building. But I, that leads me into my my first point, which is even though I couldn't hear it, I knew there was low end that was I wasn't hearing. This al- this album does that a lot, if I'm being honest. It does it recycles the same kind of concept of building tension, building tension, building tension, building tension, and it's here, or it didn't, and we're gonna go to soft music again, and we're gonna, and so a song like Why So Serious, which is nine minutes and fourteen seconds long. <laughs> Is really, (laughs) it does the same thing about three times and then it does something different. I mean, that's, I don't know. Some, sometimes these tracks, like, I think they're beautifully composed, you know, and there are moments that I like in every single song on the, so this is why I'm torn with this soundtrack, with this score. I, I feel very similar. There are moments in every single song, whether it's, a minute and 59 seconds or 16 minutes and 15 seconds that I love. There are moments that I just love in every single one of these. And there are moments where I'm like, why is this still going on? Why do we, re- <laughs> I, um, for the purpose of consumption, why didn't we cut this down to the, you know? Yeah, that's, that's very fair. That's, I, I kind of fell into the same kind of vein as you were listening to it. And it was, there was a lot of whole repetition with a lot of the tracks of kind of like, here we are, here we are. Oh, it's really loud. Okay. Now we're backing off low, 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 really loud again. To reference a past score episode, it's not as bad as I felt about like pirates where I was like, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. That's, that's what I was was like. It it did do like repeating, repeating that kind of structure, but like it sounded different in enough of the tracks that it repeated a lot. I know I just offended half of our, uh, Listener base as well as half of our hosts. <laughs> There's another well, time for us to talk about the intricacies. Anyway. Of Maybe when we do score. when we when we do Fragus revisit it, we'll do the we'll do the bring Ooh, back the pirates. <laughs> the pirates. I'm sure we'll do something. I mean, like there that are a lot of softs. There are a lot of lows, and I enjoyed all of this playlist while walking in West Campus and and going to and, and from and, and Wampus. Uh, <laughs> to and from school, um, and I think I think the thing that I came to appreciate a little bit more when I changed listening environments is that I feel like this is a score that you've really got to listen to, being still if you want to capture all of those lows. Because this is the kind of score where I was, you know, in my mind I'm thinking, if I were a low brass player, just for a moment, <laughs> this would be the the yes. scoring session that I would love. I would kill to sit in on. And, yes. and just listen, maybe not even play, but just listen. Um, I loved it. It was rich. And one of the big takeaways that I had with this score was the really inventive use of auxiliary percussion and like non-musical sound uh, that I thought, pl- I mean, it just painted a really good portrait of the kind of world that Gotham is. I can imagine a lot of those auxiliary like like saw noises and stuff like that. Um, being part of the city landscape and you know there's lots of louds and, and, and lots of softs there's a whole lot of contrast within the score um which if you don't have uh ideal listening environments or tools or anything like that can be um uh, i think a little, can take obnoxious, away. A little sure. obnoxious you're just like when you're in the middle of a 
when you're in the middle of a two and a half hour drive and you're like, great, great, great. It's building, it's building. Oh my God, I have to turn down my speakers. And then you turn it back up and right. you can barely hear it over the yeah. sound of being, yeah. of being in a car and but not the fault of the score. Exactly. Once again, it just, but it felt like stretches yeah. of silence where I was driving past nothing. It can be if a little If you know the drive between Houston and Austin, bit. it's like, <laughs> you're just like, cool, I'm stuck here. And I know I need to finish listening to this because we're going to record on Monday. Right. But, but I still, I mean, I loved it a lot. Um, I thought it enhanced the film and my own perception of the mood of The Dark Knight and the overall tone of the story so much more. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's what the music is supposed to be there for. Um, so I wholeheartedly enjoyed it, um, especially the percussion. I, I think I would prefer to be either a low brass or a percussionist in any Hans Zimmer score, uh, but particularly this one. So You should... You should uh we, we talked a whole lot about auxiliary percussion when we were talking about the RoboCop score back in season one. Yes. That's a lot of, okay. Yeah. You, you no, should that check that out because that, that also has a really good, a lot of good use of I'm auxiliary it a percussion. Just for you, Brett. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> Carter's about to say something. And Carter. Oh. I love this score. Um, this score for me um, is one of my favorite Hans Zimmer's, which I do. I give Hans Zimmer a lot of shit, and we, we oh. kind of see it today. Just in my personal conversations, but we see it today. We have two different Hans Zimmer scores, and to me, the man really kind of does two scores. He does a very kind of melodic, um, very kind of like melodic string heavy one, which you kind of see in The Lion King, and then he does a lot of like low bass kind of music that you see with like Dark Knight, Inception, Dunkirk, um, that sort of thing. Though Dunkirk's a little different. And then you see like his... Well, Dunkirk as a movie yeah. is a little different. Yeah, you see his whole melodic stuff with like 12 Years a Slave he did the score for and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but with this, um, this, when I think of The Dark Knight, I think of like density. It's a dense movie. It's got a lot of stuff happening. It's got a very kind of heavy feeling... And as we've talked about before, like the ideal score is one that establishes mood and tone. And I think that the Dark Knight score does that almost perfectly. Like you listen to it and you kind of feel the weight of the score a little bit. Um, now, talking musically, his kind of ebbs and flows, um, they're very sudden and they are quite frequent, which that's another kind of commentary on how he scores music. Um, I will say a lot of it corresponds really well with the film. Um, and so that's why it's kind of so wonky sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think like listening to the Dark Knight score, which I don't listen to it often. Um, I listen more to the uh, Inception one, but listening to the Dark Knight score, it's one of those where like you listen to it and I'm like, this feels like the Dark Knight. Like I can feel the movie through the music kind of thing, which I think would is like kind of a symbol of of a proper score. And this one doesn't necessarily have, like, it's got a couple of themes in it. It's got kind of the Batman theme that recurs. It's got a little bit of a Joker one, a little bit of a Harvey Dent one. More of, like, a good versus evil kind of theme. It's, like, a good one and a bad one. Um, but it's pretty subtle, and I like that, that it's not, like, so it doesn't fall into, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean kind of trap. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love this score. I think I think it it characterizes the movie. I think it sets the tone, sets the mood, which when we talked about um, Silence of the Lambs all the way back in season one, that was kind of its strongest factor too because Silence of the Lambs didn't really have a theme or anything for other people, but the, the score, you listened to it and you felt the movie through it. And I think Dark Knight does that um, 
stupendously. Yeah, to, to bounce off of that, uh, just listening to it while I was doing other stuff, like I couldn't quite like I I don't remember the, like the names of the tracks. Like if you were to start playing for it, playing it for me, I couldn't tell you like what's what. But like I definitely and I couldn't I I don't think I could really tell you like what scene was happening. But I could definitely like feel mm-hmm. like okay, I remember like. It's like it does feel like the movie, but then I also had to think like, is that because I've seen this movie like umpteen times, and so I just know what it sounds like? But like you're, I, 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 very, I think I very much agree with you that it, you do get that feel, you do get like the atmosphere of it. Uh, I don't think there's really melodies that are repeated. I think I disagree with you there, but there is definitely a couple of like sequences mm-hmm. that reoccur, but not overbearingly so. There's definitely like the Batman one, which is the bum, bum. Boom, 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 boom. It kind of comes back and forth yeah, through yeah. it. The, yeah, that's like the the main, the only the, like, like theme the, the, that you the can only like two, hum. The only two things that I actually like remember being repeated are that, and then just the uh, mm-hmm. just the ray, the rise, which they play in all the trailers, like mm-hmm. for every single movie. And like I get goosebumps every time I hear mm-hmm. it. So yeah. So here's where I disagree with you, Carter, and that is. I don't think this is much different than any other, like, Hans Zimmer score. I don't feel like this movie and the score necessarily... Like, yes, it works very well, but I don't feel like it does anything that encompasses the Dark Knight more... Like, I feel like it could do so much more to be the Dark Knight score. You know, I feel like there's... It feels really generic to me at times, and it feels very Hans Zimmer generic to me at times. And that's, I mean, probably because it's a great example of a Hans Zimmer score. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I didn't find myself ever, other than Why So Serious, where you can, you remember that opening scene with all the, like all the different uh, clowns and the bank robbery. And you can hear that one moment where you're like, oh, that's where he says stranger. And you're like, like, oh, he's the Joker. But, other than that, there was not a moment in this movie where I felt like I could tell what was going on, what who was fighting who at the time, whether Harvey was good or bad. Like I, it just to me, it felt like it was. I think it was really well made. I think it's a beautiful soundtrack in that it's in what it's created and that the music is very good. I don't feel like it fits this movie in any way that it wouldn't play well under any other thriller action thriller you know yeah that's i think that's just just gonna be a point where we differ um because i like i listened to i a lot of hans zimmer stuff sounds similar but i can always tell which one is which so like the dark the, between the batman movies like dark knight dark knight rises and batman begins those scores all you know with with you know good reason sound similar but something like inception i think sounds different from the dark knight and Dunkirk sounds different, and Interstellar sounds different from The Dark Knight, and then like Man of Steel, all of those. Yeah, but, but we aren't talking about no, 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 those no, movies. No, no, no. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, there's a differ, there's a differential. Like they sound different, but they are all kind of similarly in the same vein. So they they do sound similar, but I I think um, that's what I'm saying. Is I ultimately like where I'm coming from is I see a difference between all of them, and so I think they're all like I see this one being different, and you just don't. And so that's kind of just where we're. Yes, differing on it. but what I don't think that changes is the fact that you could put this under any other action thriller and it would work just as well. I don't feel like it's as tied to See, I don't, the Dark I don't Knight. necessarily like, think it will. But 
your only reason for that is I see a difference between Hans Zimmer scores. What I'm saying is for some, listening to this in a vacuum or, you know, thinking about this with the film, there's not moments that other than that one example, there's not moments in this score that match up with the film perfectly for me. And I, and I don't listen to film scores as much as you do. And we, we, yeah. you know, that's a pretty well-known fact, but I'm, you know, and I'm not as versed in music theory, but I am, I still, you know, understand music, listen to a lot of music. Yeah. And even with the other scores we've done, even with, you know, when I fought, you know, I would say that there are moments in other scores we've talked about where even when I'm not as familiar with the film, I feel like I can tell where these moments are and they're just not there for me in the dark night. It feels very generic. It feels like it, like I can tell that, Oh, this is a suspenseful moment or, Oh, someone, some, Oh shit. Something just happened. But I couldn't tell you that's where the, he falls off this building or that's when he grabs the Joker. Or that's, you know, mm-hmm. It's just not there for me, other than, you know, maybe putting it together with the context clues of looking at the titles of songs. See, but, but I go back to kind of like, in like, um, Sounds of the Lambs, there wasn't, there weren't necessarily moments in that score where you were like, oh, this is when this happens. But right. And I, to be clear, I voted, <laughs> I did not like it because of that still. But yeah, but it, it still kind of presents that kind of like, mood. And so it's, I, I do think Dark Knight... Fits, I think the score fits the movie. I don't, I don't agree with you that it's generic. And I'll, I'll tell you that because I think another score we're going to talk about is extremely generic. Um, and so I really... I, I think this one separates itself enough and it's kind of specialized. And I think it's just a point we're going to differ on. Yeah. It should, yeah. In you know, my eventual rankings of this, because we're going to have to vote, it's just something that it's going to have to fight against in... These other scores are going to have to prove themselves better or worse than that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, anyone else have anything, or no. should we go ahead and move on to our second Hans Zimmer score? Um, the Lion King. The Lion King. <laughs> this one is beautiful. This one, okay. As I said, the other side of the coin for Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and if you look at his, if you so look at his good. more like orchestral string-heavy scores, this one sounds like those. <laughs> yes, and I will tell you. That's definitely scores that resonate with me much more. And maybe it's because I'm more of a casual film score, although I've become much a much heavier film score consumer in the last five months <laughs> since we <laughs> started doing this. I'm, you know, I'm constantly trying to make my commentary on these episodes better and, you know, mm-hmm. more well thought out. So, but still, you know, very melodic, very string heavy, you know, your John Williams scores, they resonate with me. I love them. Like I can, I can feel the moments in those, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's repeating, you know, the same theme over and over again, like another one we'll get to yeah. <laughs> a little bit later in this episode. Well, and I think we can all agree that the songs are fantastic. Yes. Do any I, of us have any qualms with an any of the songs? Song, Only leave the, now. Once we pointed it out, talking about Be Prepared, where uh, Jeremy Irons' voice is swapped for Jim Cummings. Oh. I don't know that the song well, is hurt. You just tell the difference. Nice. No, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't it's think one of those it's... Things, I didn't notice it before, and then like you pointed it out just in conversation one time, every time I've listened to mm-hmm. it or watched the movie since then. You hear it. I, I hear don't think it. the quality... I mean, the, the quality experience doesn't suffer. suffer at all yeah, for me. It's, but, but it's I'm, just you know, something new. It's yeah, more it's of an like, Easter oh, egg. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, definitely not a quality thing for me, but it's the only thing, you know... Everyone loves these songs. Yeah. These are some of the best Disney <laughs> no. songs. There's Ever. a reason Very why so. I'm still glad that The Lion King didn't go into our Disney season, mm-hmm. especially because it would have made it, you know, 
it's definitely it could you could be argued that it's the strongest Disney movie. It, so I think potentially it, yeah. And so I think if it on its own, I think it works. Right. Same with we've yeah. talked about doing a superhero season. I'm yeah. glad the Dark Knight was chosen now. Yeah. So that it can compete against, you know. Because that would have been like, oh, yes, the best one versus all these other ones. Even though, you know, I'm sure Brett's giving us looks like, well, I have a no, real. No, I'm just looking. I'm just watching. Yeah. yeah. I'm not shooting looks. But no. I, I lo- you know, King of Pride Rock's a great yeah. one. Like, every. And it's, it's a much shorter score than anything yeah. else we've got on here. I'm disregarding yes. the Elton John covers of the songs he wrote. Unfortunately, they are fun, though. But they are good. They're, fun. They're not really they No, no. Um, <laughs> I what do. It, what it, this soundtrack album was conceived to be played in cars by mm-hmm. families. So, you know, I mean, often we had this uh, CD. It was one of the first CDs we had in our car. And we definitely, I mean, my parents just skipped over the Hans Zimmer stuff. Like I'm sure they would have listened to it on their own, but I'm sure, you know, little four year old me was like, get to the circle of life. Damn it. You know? Yeah. No, I love the, I love the Hans Zimmer. And it's for a good reason. This was the, the only movie that Hans Zimmer has won an Oscar for. Yes. He's been nominated, I think six or seven times. Good and this is the only times. one that he won the, the Oscar. Won an Oscar for. Um, as of now. And yeah, no, I, I adore it. I think, um, this is definitely one of his best scores. It's beautiful. Even in, yeah, because we only get, how many, four or five tracks of it's not Orchestral? Land, to only Die like For, four. Under the Stars, King of Pride Rock. Yeah. So you only get basically a, a small sample, um, but I do think they're all gorgeous, all of them. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a knockout. It, it does a really good job of, like, you have, like, that one reoccurring motif, mm-hmm. but manages to do... But they don't overuse it. Like, yeah, it's, like, it's used in each of... The, the actual score tracks, yeah. but it's used differently in such a way to like, like, what's the word I'm trying to look for? I don't know if I'm going to keep going. But it's like, each of those tracks sounds so different and it's used in such a different way to make such a different point in each mm-hmm. of them that like, it's kind of like, oh yeah, this is that same melody, but there's, it's doing enough, it's doing something different with it or it's being, it's done with like different instruments because I know in the, yeah, yeah I, I don't remember the names of all the tracks, I, th- I think it's the battle for Pride Rock where it's done in a much more like aggressive way, and it sounds so much more sinister than it does. And like the like the opening, like the first score track. Yeah, yeah. This land is uh, this sweeping land, that, and beautiful. That's and what I was thinking of. Is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Um, just a weird thing to point out, not necessarily a point for or against, but now just asking the you know asking the peanut gallery here. Um, why do you think it is that Be Prepared has the dialogue from that scene, but Hakuna Matata just lacks dialogue for a minute there? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> they did that in the Hercules one, too. It's weird decisions some, that like Disney albums yeah, randomly do. Where some it's of like, the Hercules this song tracks will include. Yeah, have like audio bits, and then some of them like don't. cut the audio out, yeah. and it's just a long... Like in... Um, Go it's the distance. Go the distance. It's just oh, a long, last, it's a long intermission. So long. Oh, yeah. Hakuna Matata is not as... Bad as yeah. that one, but like mm-hmm. there's that moment where it just vamps on the boom, 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 boom. and it's like, what's a motto? Ah, oh, what's a motto with you? You know, you know exactly <laughs> what goes there. But I'm like, why didn't you just put that in? You put Shinzi talking to Scar and be prepared. I wonder if that's how it was just recorded. I think I think it's it might have just because they might have just added in the audio of them talking uh-huh. after the fact, and then they might have had Jeremy Irons like start the song from his last line of dialogue. And so they just include it all. That might that could totally make sense. Uh, if you have the answer, if you work for Walt Disney Records and you understand exactly why these decisions were made, please tweet at us and tell us because I'm very 
I'm really interested, interested in that. In that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Just the small that's decisions like point. that always, like I said, not a point for or against, just one of those things. It's one of those questions that always comes up whenever I hear Go the Distance, Hakuna Matata, mm-hmm. name, you know, any other song where it just vamps for a second where dialogue should be. Right. <laughs> right. It might have been just they kind of improv those lines right there, and it was like, you just got to fill the space right here. Yeah. yeah. It also I just, can imagine that happening. It, it also just like, Feels, it just feels and flows a lot better with Be Prepared than it does with One Last Hope. But wait, One Last Hope, Go the Distance. But that, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's, just, that's just how I feel yeah. about it. Yeah, it's fair. It's very fair. Uh, I mean, this is a score that's a childhood maker. I mean, I this was the... This soundtrack, the Little Mermaid soundtrack, and I think the High School Musical soundtrack from 2006 were, were the three that were constantly in my, my CD player rotation all the time. So, uh, and we definitely, this was a car trip, uh, going to Houston. Uh, my parents would always play this because my parents were very big fans of Elton John as well. So after we'd finished with The Lion King, we'd actually listen to like, you know, the greatest hits of Elton John after a while. So great. It was a wonderful <laughs> time. Um, yeah, definitely reminds me of the car CD switcher days. Right, yeah. right. It, yes, the, the 2000 Honda Odyssey, good times, very good times. Um, at least that was the case for me. Uh, I mean, what, what do you even say about it? There's such a richness. There's such a complexity within this score. I mean, you've got percussion. You've got voice. You've got sweeping strings. Um, I think what I come back and really appreciate the most, I guess, is the fact that um, I'm pretty sure, and I tried to look up the actual like scoring instrumentation of a lot of these songs, but uh, they feel culturally authentic with um, the different kind of... Um, wind instruments that they're using, uh, the rhythms and like the timpani and stuff that, uh, that they're using as well, and even the vocals. I, I think the only part of the Dark Knight score that sometimes I could pick out were um, these vocalizations that sounded a little bit in quality, uh, similar to like, I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with like the Me channel and stuff and the way that they'll sometimes like, I don't know, make noises. It sounds very kind of like we programmed to yeah. me. Um, and that might be my only issue with the Dark Knight score, if I'm thinking about it correctly. Um, but if you're listening to the Lion King score, I mean, or even just going on YouTube and watching the scoring sessions that they have with, uh, I think they have them available from, from when the movie was being made. Uh, the vocalizations fit so well within the texture of the songs. Uh, and it feels great every time. It's just like this massive choir that you're listening to every time. Um, great percussion, wonderful string section, uh, great French horns, of course. I mean, uh, it's just, I don't know. Every time I listen to wonderful movie scores, I'm like, dang it, I really feel bad that I played clarinet in high school band. I, I could have could have been a French horn player, could have been a low brass player, could have been a percussionist. Um, but... It's so hard to say anything critical about this score in particular, and I, it's going to be a while until I find something yeah. that I can be like, yes, I can sink my teeth in to say this is mm-hmm. this is not good. This rubs me the wrong way. So. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure I mentioned the Disney parks too much whenever we talk about Disney movies, but all four of these songs I think have at least some part of them played in like the different areas. And like the Africa section and like the entrance area with the Tree of Life oh, at Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. It's, I mean, especially um, this land, I think, has a lot of 
moments that are played in that area. And I mean, just to your point of like being culturally appropriate to, you know, what they were doing. I mean, Disney wouldn't just keep plugging that if it was, you know, they're very, very careful with stuff like that in their parks. And Mm -hmm. so they wouldn't just drop in something that wasn't (laughs) right for (laughs) the Africa section, especially when they've got countries that are kind of paying to be represented there and helping to pay for the upkeep of those areas. All right. Can we talk about the prestige? Yes. No. Please. Okay. Well, first off, Elton John, please come on the podcast. Yes. Please. All right. Oh, please. This, please, is, please. this is the other side of the conversation I was talking about in The Dark Knight. This is the first time I've listened to the Prestige soundtrack beginning to end. This is by far one of the worst film scores I have ever listened to. I absolutely hate it. Wow. That's I think strong. it is boring, which a film score should never be boring. A film score can be kind of repetitive, but I literally was like, I don't even. There's. I can't tell the starts or ends of any songs. That was what I was. There's say. almost an absence of melody. Like there's a couple of melodic themes, but basically the entire score has an absence of melody. It makes it. It has a feeling, but it's just ominous, and it's like spooky. You can't Magic. have anything other Ooh. than ominous. And I will say, it has, I was into the score for the first four tracks. Maybe I was like, "Are you watching closely? Good. Like it's you know, I can. It sets up the scene. Like I can think of what it is." Colorado Springs like I got the feel of all the Colorado Springs scenes mm-hmm. I'm watching and then like it was around yeah Borden meets Sarah which is the one two three fourth track that I was like oh this isn't the same song as before like it it switched and I was like and by the time I realized it had switched we were like on another song and I was like oh these oh we, it's it's the next song it's the oh, oh no it's the like I when you talk about a generic score, this is a generic score. This this score has, if you look at at films of a similar period, they make themselves known and differentiate. Like, like there are other period piece films like this that have a score that is characteristic of the movie. Like the Sherlock Holmes score is of the same period and is extremely characteristic of the movie. And and of the time, I mean, like of the setting. Yes. And this this one, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. All I can think of right now is the BBC Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one, even that one. That one too has it. But it's it's not period. No, but, it's not period. But but it does sound. Like it has it a like a Victorian kind of. This is the Victorian era, and it's yeah. like the Victorian era has a very distinct sound. And I can understand want to do something different, but this is like it's literally just it's almost ambient noise. Yeah. Like it's just sustaining notes. So this is where I go back to The Dark Knight, and this is the point I thought of in the car and did not say. I feel like what Christopher Nolan wants to do is he sees movies, he's you know, he sees it and he's like, okay, this is, you know, this is a, for The Dark Knight. This is a superhero movie or for the prestige. This is a period piece. It's got its twist. It make the things that make the movie itself stand out. And now he's like, he'll go, I don't want to do a Danny Elfman score for this. I'll get Hans Zimmer to do something, you know, very different from Mm -hmm. any superhero movie, you know, before the dark Knight. we're going to get something, you know, more ambient, something low, something, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's where I feel like it maybe loses some of the, you know, there's some great stuff you can do with a Batman movie score wise. Same with, you know, you have this really interesting plot about these two magicians and the prestige. And this isn't Hans Zimmer, but like, I feel like Christopher Nolan was like, yeah, we could do the Victorian era thing, or, you know, 
we could just go ominous. We could just create mood. Yeah. And we could just, you know. What? And what, I feel like it works to a lesser effect than it does in The Dark Knight. But I feel like there's maybe a little bit of a common thread there. And here's Here's where I see a big difference. Is The Dark Knight, there's a sense of movement in that. And there's definitely a sense of movement when you watch the film The Dark Knight. When you watch The Prestige, there is a sense of movement. It's not a static movie. It's got interesting stuff, and it builds, and there's tension. But you listen to the music, and there's no sense of momentum or tension or movement whatsoever. The entire score. It builds to nothing. It never does anything. It basically just sits there with notes. And I'm like, sure, it creates, like, like I said, this ominous feeling, but... You can't. You have to have something characteristic of the film. It can't just be ominous. And the worst part is, you can have a static film with a score that's still moving. Like I'm not a huge fan of Phantom Thread, but that score slaps. Gorgeous. Good words. Gorgeous. The The Phantom Thread score is gorgeous. I cannot stand that movie. I will listen to that score. Beautiful. Sweeping. But uh, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm hundred. And that's well, much more of a static of. movie than mm-hmm. <laughs> the Prestige is, yeah. and it has a moving mm-hmm. score. Yeah. So to have something that is has momentum and has a very static score, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And my point about it wasn't to say that The Dark Knight and The Prestige are the same level. Yeah. In my head, it's just I think there's maybe a common thread in mm-hmm. my distaste for both of these scores, and I think it might be. A Mr. Christopher Nolan who is creating these ideas of we'll you know we'll not do what this movie could potentially do, and instead we'll do something different. And I just don't agree with that choice, and that's fine. Christopher Nolan and I are probably never going to go to blows over it, but Christopher Nolan, come on the podcast, please. With Elton John, bring him to <laughs> bring Elton John. Uh, both of us can punch you in the throat. <laughs> Brett, what do you think? That would be so mean. I'm sorry, Christopher Nolan. I'm not threatening violence against you. Or Shannon, what do you think? <laughs> what do I think? I think a lot of things. Um, I'm to... I think, therefore, I, I mean, am. <laughs> I'm listening to it, and I will say the prestige is wonderful background music to have on while you're working. You're not thinking about it a lot. You're not particularly drawn into it a lot. You're not being distracted by it a lot. Oh, for sure. Um, so it's ambient noise. Exactly. I was, <laughs> I was listening to the entire playlist while I was getting some work done, and I had to stop listening to all three of the other scores uh, because I was just getting too interested, too into the too into the complexity of the music, um, and I wasn't focusing on what I needed to be focusing on. But the prestige I was able to listen to because it provoked not a lot of interest or thoughts on the melody or any kind of it's it does the same thing to me that, close attachment uh, like soft guitar like plucked guitars do for like writing an essay it doesn't sound it's not uh abrasive sounding it's not something that i would feel disgusted to listen to it might put me to sleep because it's you know this perfect combination of kind of lovely but kind of boring i nearly fell asleep exactly but i i don't know um it's not something that i would brand as a film score um Elevator music of, might be a, a, a very tasteful. It is a step up music. from Muzak. It is. I well, yeah, no, it, it is actually that that might have been. I mean, but 
it didn't quite do it for me. And I, the prestige is such, I, I like what you said, Carter, that it's a movie with so much forward momentum and tension and you're invested in the plot and the music does a little bit of a disservice to that interest. Brett, take it away. Uh, I'm the odd man out here. because <laughs> Brett is shocked and appalled. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I am a little surprised because I don't think it's one of the worst film scores ever made i i didn't i didn't think it was boring uh so that that, that that's a little like I'm, I'm not shocked and appalled but i am a little yeah i'm just very surprised because i didn't think it was boring <laughs> at all i thought it take a turn <laughs> i i don't know i i very much enjoyed it i thought it was very similar to the dark knight i thought i found myself comparing it to the silence of the lambs back in season one a lot because you said yourself the best scores are the ones that you don't notice, are the ones that perfectly create the mood and everything. And I, listening to The Prestige, I thought it perfectly created the mood. And, like, yes, it was ominous, but, like, that's kind of, like, the whole feel of the movie and everything. And you rag on it for not really having a melody. The Silence of the Lamb score didn't have a melody either, really. And so... What what was what's the melody from the Silence of the Lambs? I mean, I couldn't tell you right now, okay. but it has a melody. I listening to the Silence of the Lambs soundtrack. I don't recall there being but, a melody. I felt the very same way as Robbie, where I was kind of like, okay, when are we going to get to the next track? Oh, that's the next track. When are we going to get to the next track? Oh, there's an there's an ad. Okay, we're at the next track, very much. And I thought, thank this, God for Spotify Premium. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm, I'm premium. sorry, I can't live that rich life like you guys, <laughs> but. Well, Brad. I, like I, if like, you need help, you can just ask. <laughs> Mooch off that student subscription. Continue. Right. Get Hulu, Spotify Premium, Showtime. and Showtime now. If if I may, uh, binge. Who is America? <laughs> but yeah, I thought it perfectly created the mood, and it's like you watch the movie, and yes, like that movie does have momentum, and yes, stuff does happen, but the music's there to underscore and just kind of highlight and emphasize everything, which. It very much does. Like thinking about the scenes that were going on from the track, it was very much like, okay, yes, I can definitely hear this and feel this from the movie, much like I did did with the Dark Knight. Whereas, and I said, I said with the Dark Knight, I couldn't tell you like the names of the tracks or anything, but I was kind of able to piece together what's going on. And I feel very much the same way with the Prestige. And so I'm interested why, like, why Silence of the Lambs is like, oh yeah, it perfectly fits the mood and everything and it's great whereas you think the prestige doesn't perfectly fit the mood of everything where it very much does and with signs of the lambs you could also you i felt you could lay that under any other like psychological any other kind of thriller any other kind of slow burn kind of story and it would feel exactly the same i didn't feel it had any kind of repeating notable melody you said that the best scores are the ones you don't really notice or think about and I felt I felt the prestige checked kind of all those boxes that we've talked about all the in every single episode and so I'm just interested why like it counts for those in those ways but it doesn't count for this one it's like it's if it is ambient noise it's like okay that's also a lot of like Reznor and Ross kind of scores are just kind of there and just kind of in the background you don't really notice them they're just kind of there and so i, I don't know i'm just really surprised that everyone feels so strongly that this is a very bad score so 
where I differ on this versus Silence of the Lambs, and I never thought that Silence of the Lambs was like generic sounding. I always thought it was very characteristic of the movie. And listening to the mo- listening to the score, you can feel the ebbs and flows of the movie. You can feel the builds and tension. You can feel the relief. You can feel the mood. There's a there's definitely a melody, even if it's not a memorable one. There's a melody in it that you could, if you were to listen to the track, then immediately hum. But with the prestige, there is no build or sub- it's literally just sustained note after sustained note. No, there there are plenty and of builds in there. You could feel the ebb and flow of everything with that it's, score. It's just not defined enough for me. Like it, I, I literally was like, this is basically. It, it felt like every single track was exactly the same. And there's a point when you say, yes, the best films are the ones that... Because I think... I'll amend my earlier statement. I would say that the best, the best film scores are the ones that you don't notice, but that the reason you don't notice it is because it so well establishes like the film. Like... Like I said, with like Signs of the Lambs or The Dark Knight, like you listen to the score separately and you feel the movie with it. And that happened with the Prestige as See, well. Yeah, and I'm 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 the opposite. Like I I didn't feel the Prestige listening to that score. Like I I couldn't. Or you're me and you feel it in none of yeah, those three. In none of them. But um, yeah, I didn't feel the Prestige whatsoever in that score. Like there were there was maybe one track where I was like, oh, I remember this in the movie. And there was the only track, and it was the beginning of one track. It was just a couple of notes. Um, and that's why I'm like, it's almost amelodic, because there's like, there's... Yeah, I'll give you Are You Watching Closely and Cutter Returns both have moments where you're like, okay, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is this the is prestige, the this is the moment. To, yeah. But is- yeah, for a, for a film as riveting as The Prestige, to have such a boring score that nearly puts me to sleep that I almost like can't make it through because I'm just so bored out of my mind listening to it. It's like that clearly there's something wrong with it, at least to me. But it perfectly encapsulates the feel of the movie. But I don't think it does. Like I think it like I said, I think it captures ominousness. Like ominous, but it's not there's nothing about it that screams but you could put any kind of ominous thing on this is like the Dark Knight thing. I think you could put any ominous, you know, any ominous movie or something up and you could put the prestige music under it and it be fit the ominous theme. I don't think there's anything about it that you're like, ah, yes, if I were to listen to this, that would be the prestige. Like the dark Knight, If you were to play a track from the dark Knight, I could be like, that's probably the dark Knight." but the prestige, I don't know that you could ever play something from it. And I'd be like, no, that's definitely the prestige. And and that's the same way as it is with silence of the lambs. No, I could, I could do that with silence of the lambs. That's what I'm saying. I think it's, I, that's where we're differing is I think it's, I think silence lambs is highly melodic and I think it gets better every time you listen to it. Cause I've listened to it a couple of times since we did that episode. And I think each time you kind of feel the, like the character of it grow. And so I could probably stand to listen. Like I said, this is the first time I listened to the prestige score. So I probably stand to listen to it again. But my initial reaction was this is one of the most boring scores for a movie I've ever listened to. And I think f- when your score is excruciatingly boring and your film is extremely riveting, that there's some kind of serious disconnect there. So I get, yeah. I guess I don't really know what to say since I don't know, since I feel it checks all those boxes that you say make a, Good score. I guess we're just getting down to pure I think that's just subjective and anecdotal yeah. kind of stuff. I feel like this is just gonna, you know, mm-hmm. this is just a difference of opinion that yeah. mm-hmm. maybe, like I said, maybe it's even in the moment listening to it. Like sometimes a score just doesn't strike you. But mm-hmm. I, I, I do like even if we disagree on that, I do give a hard disagree that it's just 
one note like the entire time. No, there, there's a change there, in there, notes. There are the builds. There are the ebbs and the flows. You make it sound like it's just it's not like, like a sustained it's not note. A tone. Say, saying it's ambient is that's very unfair, and I kind of want to say it's just straight up wrong because it's not just ambient noise. It's not just it's, just, it's not just white noise or something like that. That would be ambient. Sorry, like, oh, sorry guys, I'm I'm battling a major head cold or the flu or something going on. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, wash your hands. Very much. I've been wiping down. Wash every, your hands, listener. I've, it might get spread <laughs> to you. you. Might get, you might I've, get I've been wiping down everything back in oh, my no, apartment with Lysol wipes. <laughs> Trust me. But yeah, I, I lost my train of thought. What and this what this sounds like to me is really. I mean, I understand what Brett's where Brett's coming from. And I also understand where Carter's coming from. But as, you know, it's just, it's going to be a difference of opinion. It's going to, you know. I think I would amend my earlier statement that it is, or I guess this, my own belief that it's ambient. And because there are note changes. There are note changes. There are, there are different notes and different tones being, being used in differing succession and making music. Um, It's just, I want more. I want the whatever subtle nuanced ebbs and flows um were were lost on me um and perhaps it was my own listening environment but i don't i i have a suspicion that even if i had the best speakers you know it just yeah the quietest room and and was really giving you know still contemplative thought only on the prestige score i think i still would not um appreciate it or notice it as much um and i mean once again that's just me but um the prestige didn't do it for me like i was anticipating it would yeah well it seems like we just have a little bit of a difference there so let's talk about back to the future um because i just i think we need to move on from this i um i'll be a little bit more positive on this one i am so surprised by (laughs) no no i um this uh, honestly, just an album format in the way that it's the tracks go. It reminded me of when we listened to RoboCop because mm-hmm. it had like three or two or three stingers at the mm-hmm. beginning <laughs> before we got to like any full length songs, and yeah. I was like, much very very similar to how the RoboCop uh, soundtrack album is yeah. formatted. I will. Um, so I'll make my my thoughts on this pretty concise. I do quite enjoy the score. It's very light. It's very fun. I think it fits the movie. I think it differentiates itself. I think it relies on the main theme. Well, like, once again, we kind of d- disregard the iconic status of the theme. Like, it's very good. It's iconic for a reason. We can all agree it's good. Period. Yes. End. Chapter closed. Continue. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. the score... Well, icon status is not yeah. an argument, but... No, yeah. yeah. Right. We can all understand there are reasons in the score that Why? make it iconic. iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so I think the score relies on it maybe a little too much. Not... Like parts of the Caribbean level, but I think it's a little bit there. Oh um, yeah, I would agree. It's, it's a gateway very for Pirates every of the Caribbean. time. Yeah, it's it, different instrumentation, or it's you know, yeah, it's I, lacking a little bit of the brighter horns, or it's it, it's the same melody. Yeah, and um, and basically like almost every I, track. No, like yeah, every single track except the two that are like jazz pieces. Yeah. but it I remember it pops up in every single track, and I think it's I think it's on the same level as Pirates because. Mm-hmm. It pops up and it's either just slow down or regular speed and just yeah i just they're they're uh, kind of similar to 
how you felt with the prestige, although not quite to that level. There were moments where I was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to move on. I'm getting a little bored with this and go to the next track. And I'd be like, okay, this is nice. This is fun. But then that same melody would be there. I'd be like, oh, could we, could we do something else? Mr. Alan Silvestri, please. Like, this is my favorite Silvestri <laughs> soundtrack uh, score though. But yeah, so there's just oh, a lot of the time. I just, there, there was a Avengers lot. Of, is good. Who framed Roger Rabbit was good. We talked about that but, in season one. But, like, yeah, there was just a lot of times I felt myself just being like, okay, I understand. Like, I very much understand what the reoccurring theme and motif is here. And yeah. I felt like if you thought like the prestige was too little theme, I thought like this was overcompensating yes. in the wrong direction. Oh, yes. very much. This is, yes. of any of, this is the one. I think has the clearest theme, but also uses that theme too much to excess. Not always for a bad, not always a bad thing, but often I, I, I found myself getting almost annoyed by it at times. I felt like it kind of started to take away from it a little bit. So I, I was like, okay, I'd like to see something a little bit different with this done. Like I'd like to see a little bit different, like clear instrumentation being used with it while it is a very pleasant like very nice melody it's like we said it's iconic for a reason i just found myself being like okay yeah. is this the next track is this the same track is this the track that i was listening to yeah. three minutes ago i think the issue we run into is that really this is scored scene by scene rather than separate tracks and so all the scenes that use that kind of go back to that it's almost used as like a stinger in scenes or as some you know something that's like Someone figures something out and it's dun, 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 dun. Or like, yeah. And it's not really a part of, you know, that individual song. Really, you know, you know, 55 Town Square is done. Mm-hmm. But then Marty sees the clock tower and it's, you know, not, and it's not broken anymore. So, that's the issue I think this runs into an album format because I don't think that it's like, in the movie, at least, used to excess. You don't think about yeah, it, it in the movie because... Yeah. Which I think works, too. It's advanced, like Because it right. is kind of reactionary, like you said. It's like a stinger. Exactly, mm-hmm. and it makes sense when you're watching with all the characters and the content coming at you. It, it, yeah, Because no, I think we you. talked about that in the Roger Rabbit one a little bit. Yeah. Where it was very reactionary to what's happening on the screen. Mm-hmm. Which is very characteristic of Alan Silvestri's scores. Except like, for Forrest Gump. Except for Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. But um, the th- where I think this uh, score, this album, this I don't know if it what it where it technically belongs. Uh, Back in time and power of love really stand out to me as two fantastic songs. Mm-hmm. Um, two great songs, yeah. Yeah, they are on Huey Lewis and the News mm-hmm. greatest hits, um, and I think for good reason. Yeah, and I think it's incredible. I mean. Aside from the fact that they're a little bit generic enough that they can work as radio hits, which was, I mean, definitely the goal of writing pop rock songs for a movie in the 80s, these are probably the two best shining examples of it. And you can still find people today who maybe aren't familiar with Back to the Future and the songs that belong to it, but will know Power of Love and Back in Time because they play on the radio still. Like, it's... (laughs) I mean, yeah, they're iconic, and I think they're... I mean, I always... I loved the introductory sequence, watching Back to the Future for the first time, and the seamless transition from, you know, Marty 
plugging in the tiny little guitar to the massive it's such a tiny guitar uh, speakers and then going straight into you know the the going to school exactly it it makes so much sense to me and it it it's a pump up when the movie starts which is what it's supposed to function as and i think it it's really indicative of marty it feels very you know um probably current for the time period um very upbeat uh underlying element of cool uh and i love it i think it's great and i'm sure there's you know, there's obviously plenty of people that agree. Yeah. But yeah, it functions very well yeah. within the context of where In it's the same to. way that Just Can't Wait to Be King and Circle of Life really add to the Lion King soundtrack. Absolutely, like yeah, absolutely. Those two songs and the, you know, the Back to the Future title probably make this, you know, a timeless score without even trying. Or a timeless album sound soundtrack album without even trying. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those ones when I first got into record collecting that a lot of people have this album, even if they don't collect scores, you know? Yeah. And I think that's for a good reason. I don't want to say that like icon status is the reason it's good, but it just feels good. It does the opposite of what the prestige. It's, and, a, it's <laughs> a happy score. It's yeah. Happy people like score. happy music more than sad music. It does the exact opposite for me that of what the dark Knight and the prestige do, which is there are moments in every single song where I'm like, Oh yes, that part, you know, you can, feel in the score when Marty knocks down Biff and then Biff stands up and you watch the camera yeah. pan with it, you know? Well, and it, it goes back to the tone thing. Cause like back to the future is a very light film. It's very oh, yeah. light and breezy. And the score is very light and breezy. It's good. So, yeah. And I feel like it builds tension when it needs to build tension and it builds the right amount. Cause I mean, it is a very campy kind of tension. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, is he going to get it, you know, is he going to get it plugged in so he can, Travel back in time, like it's yeah. The situations are ridiculous, and so the tension's a little bit ridiculous. And the payoff on this, on the at least the payoff on the main theme is is always rewarding mm-hmm. to me. I think. Right. Anytime you feel the tension, and then it's you know, boom, mm-hmm. bam, you're yep. like, yes, it's so triumphant. I yep. love it. But I also I get what Brett's saying. Like it's, it's definitely overused. We can agree. Yeah. That. All right. Anyone have anything else to say? Alan Silvestri, come on the podcast. Or just come hang out with me. And Let's... bring your best friends, Christopher Nolan and Elton John. I'm sure they'd love to see the table. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a panel. Bobby Zemeckis. Panel. Uh, Bob Zemeckis? Let's get Bob. to our winners. And uh, our losers. And our losers. Uh, my winner this week is The Dark Knight. I think this score is the most characteristic... Well, no. That's a lie. I think this... <laughs> The score is the best at establishing mood. I think I would, it was between this and Lion King. I think Lion King is definitely like the best kind of like perhaps the most entertaining, but I think like on its own, but I think that uh, the Dark Knight, like I said, is the best at establishing mood. Like the score isn't super. I mean, it's the standard length of, of a film score, but it's like, it feels heavy. And it's kind of difficult to make your... The Circle of Life was a good breath of fresh yeah, air after... Yeah, it's kind of difficult... 16-minute yeah. The Dark Knight Yeah, song. it's kind of difficult to, like, convey that kind of thing without it just feeling like nothing but, like, just, like, heavy bass, which is kind of what Interstellar does a little bit. Interstellar goes a little wonky. But, yeah, so, Dark Knight, that's my winner this week. All right. 
My winner this week is going to be The Lion King. Um, listening to it again, I was really struck with the fact that it's a kid's movie, and it's a you know kid's score with a lot of really adult lessons and adult themes, and I think that's reflected wonderfully um, with the orchestration of this film. It does so much to incorporate the cultural aspects of this film that, that gives it an authenticity. I'm assuming it gives it an authenticity that um, is timeless. And I, you know, this is a film that has a score that, okay, you've got your lighter-hearted lyrical um, music and you've got some really kind of rich, mature, soaring melodies um, in the instrumental music and, uh, you know, I love it. I've always loved it. And uh, I, I really enjoyed getting to take it apart again this week. All right. Uh, much respect to my, probably my favorite score of all time, uh, Back to the Future, but it's not my winner this week. That honor does go to The Lion King. Um, everything Shannon said and more, I, you know, the score sections are sweeping and beautiful and melodic, and they capture the essence of the film so well in only four tracks of just, you know, orchestral score. But also, you know, nothing but respect for Elton John's songwriting as well as the other songwriters on the films. On the film, this is... It's much like Back to the Future. This is one of the few scores that I feel like is essential to my life, my childhood, and I think that, well, maybe I have some more love for... Back to the Future, you know, when I think about fondly on both of them, I think the better score, hands down, there is Hans Zimmer's score for uh, The Lion King. So, there you go. My winner this week is going to be The Lion King. And I don't know what I can say that hasn't already been said by any of us here. It's, <laughs> it's just good. Yeah. All right. Well, we can have. Winners without losers. But can't we? No. Okay. So um, this should be no surprise to anyone who listened to this episode, um, but I will be voting off the prestige. The prestige? It's just, like I said, it's... The vestige of a prestige. I had such high hopes for this score, and it I've, I don't know that I've ever been so let down, except for maybe Danny Elfman's Justice League score, also atrocious. If you ever want to hear at least what I think is the most generic... It's a common misconception that the Marvel films are all generic. A couple of them kind of sounded similar, and they're usually the same composer, the ones that sound the most similar. But I do, I, I argue that every Marvel film has a distinct theme for their superhero. But Danny Elfman's Justice League is atrocious, um, or his, his score is atrocious. But yeah, the Prestige, it's just, it's just boring. I've never been just so bored listening to a score. So yeah, goodbye. Sadly, I will also be voting off the prestigious score for this week. Um, the disconnect between the motion and the tension of the plot and the relative kind of listlessness of the you know the melodic movement in the score um, was was a little saddening. And um, and I, I was quite actually looking forward to um, kind of picking apart the prestigious score, um, but it's it's going to be a pass for me this week. I can't decide <laughs> at the moment what I think is the worst one. I think as much as I dislike the Dark Knight score, I just could not get into it. Like I, 
Like I said, and I think Hans Zimmer's done so much better. I think I still have to go with the Prestige. The way, at one point, I was like, oh, wow, these songs flow really well into each other, creating a cohesive, you know, feel and mood. And then there's a point where it stops being that and it starts being nothing. It just starts fading. It starts becoming... Ambient's not the right word because there are subtle ebbs and flows and the like, but it just... At a certain point, it stops capturing you and it starts, you know, being a job to listen to the score. And it's of the four, it's the only one where I ever felt like maybe I could skip it and still, you know, have an intelligent conversation about this. So, uh, unfortunately, The Prestige is going to have to go for me this week. My vote for... It doesn't matter, but I was going to vote for Back to the Future because... I don't know, it just got so repetitive to the point that I just started getting bored and getting a little tired of listening to some of the tracks, or at least I thought they could have ended a little earlier just because it got so repetitive, but that's just me. All right. Well, there you go. So, The Prestige, Prestige. entering its own cabinet, not, not coming, coming out on the other side. The other side and the train, no. All right, let's <laughs> wrap this up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at C.A. Spillers, like Spill Something in Yard and NS. Um, my recommendation this week is Gareth Evans' The Raid, sometimes also The Raid Redemption. Um, it's real good. Uh, I had not seen it before. I'd heard lots of good things about it. Um, I loved it. It was a definitely just there for action, not there for story. But man, was it some cool fights. There you go. Amazing. Um, you guys can find me on Letterboxd at Zed's Dead 5. Uh, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. five. Uh, this week, I'm going to be recommending... Uh, let's see. I'm going to be recommending Billy Wilder's 1960 masterpiece, uh, The Apartment. Um, if any of y'all don't know, I'm trying to watch every single Best Picture winner uh, Academy Award winner uh, for Best Picture, and uh, the apartment was definitely. I didn't have like really any sort of informed expectations about the film, and it blew me away with how smart the dialogue was, um, how gripping I thought the actual story was, and uh, I really did love the chemistry between the two main characters. Um, if you listened last week, I actually did watch uh, American Graffiti. wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. Still, I mean, iconic for for good reasons production design was very good but it was a three and a half out of five star kind of movie for me so yeah well there you go uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at robbie underscore DeShazer. um i post there i post a lot of fun things we have a lot of fun so come join us um this week i am going to recommend uh 1963's the birds uh an alfred hitchcock film one that i hadn't actually watched the you birds, know the birds its reputation kind of preceded it i you know was like i think i know everything i need to know about this movie just by you know hearing it and seeing the few clips you see watched it fell in love with that movie i'm slowly learning that i do need to just go back and watch all the hitchcock movies because really good i had never seen vertigo that aren't good but earlier this summer as you know i hadn't seen vertigo went and saw it for the first time such a good time um so i could also recommend i think i did recommend that um, but also The Birds, 1963, fun watch, good time. Uh, if you don't like birds, Horrible maybe it's not for you. you. But 
excellent filmmaker. Especially yes. on that movie. Yes. Especially on The Birds. He was a horrible human being. He was. But uh, he was. great movie. He was. But uh, imagery. Find me on Twitter and Snapchat at BrettJHNSN1. Uh, my recommendation this week is going to be John Carpenter's The Thing. It's great. Oh. I love it. Also good. Because Halloween or uh, October's right around the corner, so getting spooky. And there you have it. That Those are our winners, our losers, our recommendations, our plugs. Um, but you can follow the show, like I already said earlier in the episode, on Twitter at Film Fracas, uh, also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're all over the web. We're posting. We fixed uh, an issue this week, so if you're just now getting to this episode a couple weeks in advance because you're trying to catch up, thank you for sticking with us and hanging around while we fix that. Um, but yes, only three films remain in this season, and probably what I'm now thinking is maybe our most competitive season At yet. this point, yes. I'm very excited to see what happens. I'm excited for next week and then the finale. Mm-hmm. So things are... Looking to be really, really fun. Thanks for listening. Uh, Tune in again next week. We'll have a great episode for you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Film Fracas. We know that there are a lot of shows on the web, and we are so glad you took the time to listen to ours. Thank you to Brett Johnson, Robbie DeShazer, and Carter Spilliards for helping to write and produce each episode. Please consider giving us a five-star rating wherever you listen. It really does help get the word out. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Film Fracas. Once again, thanks for listening, and we can't wait for you to hear our next episode.